Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Aeron Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Greg Burns. Greg is the CFO with White Oak Aviation. He's joining us for the purposes of our Aviation Leaders Report, which we'll be issuing in January. I should say we're recording this on the 13th of December. Greg, thanks so much for joining us for the purposes of the report. And um, Before we get into the meat of the conversation, do you want to tell our watchers a little bit about White Oak Aviation? Sure. Um, and firstly, thank you, Joe, for inviting me to join you on, on the call today. Um, yeah, White Oak Aviation, uh, we launched in uh, 2020, just uh, before the pandemic hit, which was a, an interesting time to, to start off the platform. Uh, we're led by Bob Janice, uh, a veteran of the, of, of the industry. And um, yeah, we've, we're, we're, our parent company is White Oak Global Advisors. They're a fund manager based out of San Francisco. They've roughly um, uh, 7 billion under, under management at the moment. And um, we launched, as I say, uh, in early 2020, uh, we were able to, to deploy just under 200 million in the first year. We have a very broad strategy, Joe. Uh, we looked at the narrow bodies in midlife market uh, generally. Um, and also we're, we're also with that broad strategy, we look at uh, direct lending opportunities as well. So post, post the beginning of the uh, pandemic, we were able to um, execute on a number of transactions, a number of uh, sale and lease back transactions with uh, one of the main um, Asian uh, low-cost carriers. Um, and also we did a, a number of direct lending opportunities uh, or transactions into the, the freight space. So it was a cargo startup operator uh, that we've uh, supported in their in their launch uh, phase and beyond. Um, in in the, the second year, we did some back financing of our original deals, freed up additional capital, and were able to deploy them in in uh, incremental deals, uh, both on the asset side and also on the direct lending side. Um, yeah, we're we're we see ourselves still in the startup phase. We're we're growing our balance sheet. We're we're moving towards critical mass. And we're also in a fundraising stage at the moment with our with our parent company and looking forward to deploying significant amount of capital in uh, 2023. Um, so that's kind of where, where we're at right now, Joe. And, and, you know, like everyone else, we're we're watching what's going on in the market. And it certainly has been a, an interesting place over the, the last few years. Yeah, and maybe we take how you've seen that market evolve over 2022. You know, interesting times, you say, coming out of early 20. Lots of dislocation, but you're also not coming in with a, you know, with a loaded balance sheet, right? So there's an element of strategic advantage to that. Can you talk to us a little bit around, you mentioned some of those there, but but the opportunity side, your, your assessment of 2022, as we saw the recovery take hold, and what kind of opportunities that threw out during the course of this year? Yeah, certainly, um, without going back too far, the, you know, immediately post uh, the pandemic inception, if I can call it that, there was opportunities to support airlines who were, you know, I won't say scrambling, but looking to, to build a war chest. Um, and there was significant sale lease back opportunities. So where, where you had capital to, to, to deploy, you could do decent deals with good economics, post-COVID economics, and you could, uh, with decent credits as well. So we were able to find that, that niche in terms of um, getting those deals across the line. Um, also, at that stage, there was a lot of push and drive towards um, the, the freighter market in general. 
So a lot of uh, lessors and, and other investors were looking at the passenger to freighter conversions across the board. We, as I said, we focused on the freight um, the, uh, a freight startup company. And we also looked at that potential of investing into the passenger to freighter programs as well at that stage. So that's where we saw those op the opportunities then. As things progressed then um, through the pandemic, there was a bit more of a stabilization, both stabilization in, in terms of the market to an extent, but also in terms of market values, which we had seen a decline on uh, across the board. So really in, in, in 2022, we're seeing, we're seeing plenty of opportunities. As I said, we're fundraising at the moment. So you know the deals that we're looking at are the smaller ticket dollar size deals. Um, and because we have that broad strategy, we're looking at everything from hangar aircraft hangar financing to engine deals to, um, to the single wide body aircraft deals, which potentially could be converted to freighter. So very broad strategy. And we think that's that's a good one to have at the moment. We have a very low cost, uh, fixed cost base, and it allows us to be fluid in terms of the deals we can look at. Um, I guess once fundraising has been committed and secured, we then that opens up a window of opportunity for us in terms of uh, building the velocity of, of, of scaling up. Um, and that will allow us to look at those secondary market transactions. So portfolios coming from other lessors and to see if we can we can uh, make the economics work on those ones. And and in terms of maybe looking at the macro environment, Greg, like we're in a time of very significant uncertainty and you kind of go about geopolitical stemming out of Russia and the challenges that's had for aviation and then macroeconomic, you know, we look across things like you know, oil price, FX, interest rates and inflation. How challenging has that been for the business currently and how challenging is it making when you're out there trying to raise funds and talk to investors? Yeah, absolutely. It is. There, there seems to be an endless supply of challenges at the moment. As you say, cost of funds is a big one. Uh, at, at present, okay. So, both from a, an investor's perspective, but also within the industry itself. So, where you have uh, you have uh, lessors who are looking to trade, they're trading off cal calculations they made several years ago, where interest rates were were very low, to the actual acquirers who are basing it off interest rates of today. So, there's a mis mismatch there, I believe, between ask and bid prices on those on those portfolios. So. From a macro perspective, like, you know, obviously cost of fuel, um, it's a big one across the board, um, but also the strength of the dollar recently is putting the squeeze on particularly the emerging market airlines as well, which is, you know, there uh, we're seeing that um, predominantly in Asia where, where it's just causing an additional stress on, on the, the P&Ls of those, of those entities. So yeah, like there's there's a lot of challenges. You you've alluded to other ones there. Obviously, there's the recessionary fears at the moment. Uh, everyone's focused on in the freight market itself. We've seen you know softening there, both rates and volume as well. Now we we're a strong believer that that will rebound and that the underlying fundamentals in the freight market are are still very strong, whether e-commerce or or whatnot. And maybe honing in on one of those points for a second, Greg, because interesting perspective, as you mentioned, obviously you've done some direct lending too. The, on, honing in the interest rate environment and maybe how we're seeing that feed in from a pricing perspective. You know, if we were having this conversation a year ago, I think the natural agreement would have been interest rates will rise. It's probably the pace at which they've risen, which has kind of taken people a little bit off guard. Can you talk to us a little bit on how that has 
impacted your thoughts, as you say, a little bit on pricing of transactions. And two, just curious to, to what it's done to the lending side of the house. Yeah, like, you know, so the, the original transactions that we've done, um, you know, because of both the pandemic and also the startup nature of the, the original transaction we backed, you know, the, the, the interest rates on, the, on those that we were issuing were double digit. OK, so, you know, very strong interest rate. Um, those deals that we were doing, they were very much asset backed deals as opposed to credit, given it was a startup at the time. And, you know, that over time, um, as, as I guess, uh, track record is built by the, by the company, et cetera, you know, those interest rates can be um, revised based on follow on loans. So I would say that, you know, in terms of interest rates, they were at a very nice level in terms of the direct lending that we've done. Um, that hasn't necessarily changed dramatically in the last, say, 12 months because of all the other challenges facing the industry. I think that those rates are, are pretty much where they would have been. And that for us, uh, you know, in terms of risk adjusted rates, we think they're a fair reflection. Ultimately, underpinning all of this is, I guess, the experience of, of our team and the experience to, you know, pick the right assets to, to back pick the right management team to back, pick the right market environment that's going to support the, the company. So I think, you know, underpinning it is the, the experience of the team across the board, technical, you know, credit, et cetera, et cetera. And, and maybe playing into the debt side or dealing against assets at a moment, but on the debt side, can I get your thoughts on what the lending market is like, right? So we might, might come on to investors a bit in a minute, but on the debt side, look, we've seen um, ABS market kind of tighten, very sentiment driven, you know, virtually closed. We've had the very recent transaction, probably a bit more private placement. -y. Um, your, your take on the general aviation debt environment, both in terms of maybe the traditional lending banks and also whether the alternative lender class, a little bit like you're doing, right? Um, and, and your perspectives on the alternative lender class and whether or not that's a tool that's going to become more important over time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as we know, like, you know, the traditional banks really retrenched uh, around the time the pandemic kicked off. And you know, that certainly opened up a lot of uh, demand for both the alternative direct lending like ourselves. And you would have seen several other lessors either entrance into the market who came in with their, their assets, uh, you know, strategy, but also the direct lending strategy. And that was also the case for existing lessors who were purely on the asset side going into the lending side as well. So there was definitely um, uh, with that retrenchment of, of the traditional banks, which did exist. Uh, and did happen, there was certainly entrance into that space. And, you know, our parent company, White Oak Global Advisors, their bread and butter is the direct lending space. So us coming into the, uh, launching the, uh, the affiliate back in 2020, it was uh, a great secondary sort of uh, strategy that allowed us to have that broad strategy I mentioned originally. So, you know, certainly the commercial banks withdrew to an extent. Uh, we had opportunities as a direct lender who had an established uh, structure, infrastructure to allow us to do that. Um, since then, you know, after I'd say after the first nine months when I guess banks, et cetera, realized that it wasn't going to be an Armageddon, it was going to be another blip in the long sort of uh, lumpy cycles of, of aviation finance and the aviation industry in general. So I think they, they withdrew, but have obviously re-entered the market slowly over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. 
In terms of alternative lenders, as I say, we have a, many more entrants into the space, but with the reduced access to funding, you alluded to the ABS um, side of things, but also other, other constraints uh, where perhaps airlines can't get sale leaseback away, they need other sources of, of financing. So the, if the ABS market isn't there uh, for, for less ores, but you know, direct lending is a, is a, is a good alternative uh, to the sale and leaseback market. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that alternative lender class, I just think we're going to see a proliferation of it. And that's even before you get into maybe some of the regulatory constraints that are come uh, with the late Basel evolutions that's going to probably impact on the traditional lenders. On the yeah. investor side, Greg, you mentioned, um, look, you guys are out looking, raising funds at the moment. Can I get your perspectives on the types of investor interest we're seeing uh, into aviation finance and whether you've seen any interesting trends on that um, in recent times? Um, and then the second piece of that question is really around the attractiveness of aviation as an asset class, right? Um, just to, to get your thoughts on that area and whether that attractiveness has waxed or waned pre and post COVID. Yeah, no, I think the attractiveness of the asset class has been consistent over the last 15 years. Um, investors are more educated in terms of it as an asset class. So what they really like about it, obviously, is that it's an asset-backed, right? It's a movable asset. Um, it has, but more importantly, it has the, you know, the long-term cash streams. Um, and it also has the regulatory and legal framework that allows for repossessions or whatever it might be, Cape 10 and all of that side of it. So really attractive in terms of an asset class. And that has panned out over the last, you know, couple of decades in terms of entrance into the market. You know, we've seen in the last three, six months, two very deep pocketed uh, investors coming in in the form of Abbey Lease and in form uh, of its high ridge, high ridge aviation as well. So, you know, and that's just two large entrants uh, are, uh, over the last over the last three, three odd months. Over the last two years, Joe, we've seen multiple, multiple entrants into the market. And, you know, from our perspective, you know, that validates our positioning as well. Um, you know, we're keen now to, to, to do that fundraising and, uh, and, and secure it and kick on. But uh, certainly there's no shortage of, of uh, investor appetite in aviation and any institutional investors we're speaking to and private equity we've spoken to, uh, there is still great, great appetite for, for aviation and uh, the asset class in general. Yeah, and that probably speaks to the macro leasing environment. We've kind of seen, you know, that 50% of uh, aircraft number being breached from a leasing perspective. Um, and we've probably seen over the course of the pandemic a deepening of relationships between lessors and airlines. You, your perspective on whether that trend kind of continues on an upward tick, um, you know, whether or not airlines balance sheets will at some point recover and we'll see it recede, or you just think that long-term trend line, which has always gone upwards, will continue to tick upwards? Yeah, like I think I think it will tick. There's probably a ceiling to it. You know, if we're greater than 50% now, is the ceiling 75%, but I certainly think that airlines, their interest is to have as much flexibility in their financing as, as possible. So, you know, if that's direct lending, if it is sale and lease max or, 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 or other sort of um, other financing, WTCs or whatever, it's, I, I really think that, you know, they've, 
acknowledged and learned over, over the last decade where we've had two major crises, uh, the global financial crisis and, and the pandemic, that having flexibility in both financing and flexibility in fleet management is absolutely crucial to be able to deal with these, these crises as they arise. So I certainly think that it can go north of, of, of 50, 50%. Um, and uh, yeah, I think they, it's only been validated over the last number of uh, years that the sale and lease back channel, channel is, is, a, is, a, is a lucrative one and, and one they can, they can that'll add to their, their uh, flexibility. And, and I'll maybe get your perspective, particularly as asset manager, when you think about scale. So some of the themes as we've been chatting to participants on this, you know, unsurprisingly, with a large balance sheet, lessors will tell you, scale, scale, scale. That's where you need to be. That's where it's going to be. Whereas I think you talk to the asset manager class and oh, there's there's room enough for all of us, right? Um, and, and it's playing in maybe pockets and niches and specialisms. Can I get your perspective on scale coming at it from an asset manager? You know, as you say, still pretty much in, in your kind of startup mode? Yeah, it's, my view is it's it's very important scale, okay? Um, I think primarily, and maybe this is because where we are, where we're, we've come from today, is with scale, you can absorb some of the punches, okay? So where there is uh, issues in Russia, where there is issues with uh, particular credits, where there is pandemics, right, on a, on a larger scale. Scale will allow you to absorb, absorb those. We've seen with some of the larger lessors who have massive exposure to Russia, but bounced off it, you know, pretty painlessly. I say that. Um, um, but yeah, so I think scale is super important. And that's in terms of dealing with surprises that do arise, which will always arise. Obviously, um, scale is, is important from a spread of operational costs as well. So I do think it's important. I also think sc scaling up is very important from, a, from a, you know, a culture and a business perspective in terms of staffing and motivation and all of that. So there's, there's a lot of reasons why getting the business from startup phase to a more mature phase is, is in the interest of, of the investors and the, the underlying shareholders. And and thinking about it then from an asset manager, you know, how do you how do you then play against the larger players? Well, you don't play against them, I guess is the point. But if you think about it strategically, it probably feeds into my next kind of segment to talk about, but it's really that fleet focus. So when you're looking at opportunities on the asset side, you know, if you, if you gave anyone a blank checkbook, they'd buy narrow body new tech, but everybody's chasing that. So as a yeah. you know, as an asset manager chasing value, where's your focus from a fleet perspective? Yeah, and that's why that's why a broad strategy is really important when you're small um, to allow you. And we've the management team that are working in this affiliate came um, from Airgen, and Airgen um, was focused on the midlife space, but also on the engine um, side as well. So there's broad experience within the team that allows us to actually follow through on that broad strategy. So you're right, you know, we're not going to be able to compete on that new kit on those long, long-term lease, uh, sale and lease backs. So we have to be agile in terms of uh, pivoting from a deal to another, one deal to another deal. We also have to have, uh, based on the relationships and the experience the team has in the market, we have to be in front of deals when they arise, but able to move on them very quickly then as well. And we think we are very um, efficient in that regard in terms of where we like a deal, we'll be able to 
both through the infrastructure we have and the, and the, the parent company support, we're able to move very quickly on, on closing. And that's really important to vendors as well. So, no, I certainly think, you know, you have to bring something different to the table if you're going to compete with the big lessors um, in some parts of the market. Obviously, you're right, you know, where more material funding becomes available, it puts you in a stronger position to scale faster. But in the intervening period, you have to be able to do deals that make sense. And I think by providing, you know, uh, you know, uh, confidence around closure on deals and speed of deal execution, um, that's a huge part of what the what vendors are looking for. And then looking at maybe the, the trading environment, can I get your perspectives on, on how you currently see it? I think you talk to some people anecdotally here, slightly dysfunctional you know you by feeding in from the oem delays we have maybe the larger players holding on to aircraft longer than they plan to right because their growth plans aren't really coming to fruition on the other side would that kind of reconcile with how you're viewing the market at the moment and if so just how do you see that evolving uh, into next year yeah so you you're absolutely right you know there was there was limited portfolios coming to market over the last two years over the last six months or so, there's been a lot of portfolios coming to market of scale. Um, I think there's a mismatch still between that bid and ask price, right? So that needs to be bridged at some point. Um, the, low, the high interest rate environment isn't helping that either, as I, as I alluded to at the start, um, in terms of how we are looking to price um, acquisitions versus what the seller is looking for. So. I think there's a bridge still to, to happen there. Um, you know, we did expect a lot more secondary portfolios to come to market, and it, and it has as you know, let's sort of look to rebalance our portfolio and reignite, you know, trading activity, which was a huge part, a big part of their their business uh, prior to the pandemic. So I think that bridging will happen, um, and you know. We're with 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 new funding coming downstream. We're we're hopeful to be in that space, and but obviously we want to secure the best economics we can from a from an acquisition perspective because there is still a lot of uncertainty in the market. So um, certainly do plenty of due diligence. Yeah, there is that conflict, isn't it? We're in an inflationary environment; asset value should go up. If you've got a lease encumbered asset that's stuck with rates that are a pre, you know, the the volatility. That, that, I totally get that bit ass piece, right? And, yeah, and I think, think I something's got to well, give, right? Yeah. yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, I think yeah, on, on lease rate factors, like I still, they, they also have catch up to do on, you know, the, the interest, uh, the rising interest rate, rising cost of funds environment. So, you know, that's not got there yet. That's still competitive. Um, so I don't know. I don't want to say the penny needs to drop at some stage, but there, there is definitely a, a reconciliation there to, to happen. Can I bring you on to one of the points you made earlier, Greg, on the area you guys have played in? It's around cargo and freight. Um, so a couple of conflicting, I'd say, views we're getting back over the course of the conversations we've been having. You know, we saw a step change post-COVID, um, you know, e-commerce driven to a degree, lack of wide bodies flying, you know, and an uptick clearly in demand on the cargo side. And we've seen a lot of people move to that space, right? Looking at the PTF space, looking, uh, we've seen some, some cargo lessors who've really built out balance sheets over the last couple of years. Little bit of concern by some that we might see an oversupply into that market. So we welcome your thoughts on how you see that market evolving over the medium term. Yeah, so um, 
as I said, I, I think the underlying conditions are positive for, for growth. We have seen that softening, right, with, with, uh, with recessionary fears, um, with, you know, slight demand fall off. But the demand we see it is uh, certainly on an upward tra trajectory in the, in the medium term. So, yes, there's been a lot of investment into conversion, you know, whether it's the, the, three, the, the 800 uh, across the asset classes, whether it be, you know, Boeing, Airbus, but also Embraer and other manufacturers are, are all looking in or are in the midst of, of conversion to, to freighter aircraft as well. So, put on, add on top of that, the return of belly capacity on the passenger aircraft as that demand has really uh, rebounded as well. So, yes, capacity has come back into the market, but, um, you know, a lot of that is in sort of shorter haul, um, narrow body, narrow body aircraft. So there, I think there still is um, demand for intercontinental long haul, long haul freight transport as well. Um, some of the assets we we invest in are are the seven four seven. They're older aircraft, but but you know the 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 load they get their their payload is 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 still you know very high and um, competitive. Um, considering the the cost of the assets as well, so intercontinental freight I think is will will continue to be in high demand. Um, more short haul freight is more competitive, a, a lot more capacity, but we certainly do um, see with the with the growth of e-commerce um, and other in, uh, in, interconnectivity globally that uh, the demand will continue to grow on on those on those that part of the the, the market as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch over the next while. There's always been a spiky market. And the question does is it a little bit less spiky? And is the spike here rather than here, right? Um, uh, on a go-forward basis. Ch changing tack slightly, Greg, and very curious as to, you know, the major issue the entire sector facing is around ESG, with a particular focus on the E. Um, interested as you're chatting to investors, how high on their agenda? is the ESG point? Are we paying lip service to it, but is it really biting in terms of a, you know, access to either equity or debt markets? The impact has not been, from my experience so far, massive, all right? Um, but that's not to, to say it's not top of the list or very high on the list of what we think about, you know, uh, as we're looking to fundraise, but as we're looking to do anything. You know, so from an individual and corporate perspective, you know, ESG is very high on the on on the agenda in terms of everything we do. So um, certainly, you know, I think um, I, I think it's very very evident in terms of any financings we've secured um, as a as a business so far. It hasn't been the only factor. It, Nearly, I guess it's been oh, glad to hear it. Nice, nice to have, but it it hasn't directly impacted the deals that we've done. But that's I expect that is it's only a matter of time before it uh, it does. And we're building our own ESG strategy internally as well. Um, I think it's you know in terms of it, from an in industry perspective, I think what the Aircraft Leasing Ireland has has done and is doing. I think that's a great forum for us as an entire industry to you know, plan and, and execute on commitments, right? Um, you know, I do think larger lessors have, have a larger onus, you know, to contribute into, into this whole area. 
um, um, similarly to the larger developed countries having more of a responsibility than you know emerging markets or, or whatnot. So there's a there's a there's 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 an element of that as well, uh, Joe. So there's also you know because we're a small player and we're looking to scale up, and we may operate predominantly at the moment in the midlife space, but you know we're all interconnected in terms of the larger lessors. A lot of their funding to, you know, drive the acquisition of the newer, new, new equipment, the uh, newer gener next generation aircraft, more fuel efficient, is funded by trading of mid their midlife portfolios to the likes of us and others. So totally interconnected um, in terms of a, of a sector. And that's why it's so important, true bodies like Aircraft Lease in Ireland, to be able to, you know, work together and achieve the goals we commit to as a as a sector as opposed to individual maybe grandstanding yeah i think that's fair right and it's kind of consistent what we're hearing around you know impact now low impact coming high question is when right and there's probably two elements you say the aircraft leasing Ireland issue is very very you know well thought out and a good initiative and it is because there's two elements here there's the solve and there's the message you know ultimately the benefits that air travel gives versus all right the negative impact it has need to be strongly considered and articulated um so yeah i think it's going to be quite interesting if you're going out with a fund in five years just that pool of investor that might be open to you right i think that's the evolution that, that's going to be very interesting to watch um Greg, excellent insights and great to get your perspectives. Before we close, can I ask you, you know, talking a lot about opportunities in the market, you know, early in the conversation, we were chatting a little bit of the uncertainty and the challenges that are there. As you think out into 23 and you guys have big plans, what are your optimism levels like? They're high. They're high, Joe. Um, you know, what was evidenced by last summer, Northern Hemisphere summer season, was the massive pent-up demand, Right. Optimisms um, that you know 2023 is you know is going to surpass 2019 capacity you know uh, levels significantly. I in my view, um, and ad additionally, I think the I think the um, I think people want to travel. People want want to be out there. Um, obviously, lagging you know mainstream is is business business class or business travel. Um, and also Asia slightly behind, but that's hopefully going to uh, accelerate now that the COVID uh, policies have slightly shifted in in China as well. So I think that's that's a really positive sort of uh, look into 2023 from my perspective. Um, I also think that you know what the industry has shown is massive resilience over the last uh, two to three years, and once again it's shown that you know that this is a resilient sector that will you know ride out the different blips the different crises and has demonstrated that and that you know ultimately it continues to track gdp and grow like you know i think the, the statistics sh show that it doubles in size every 15 years over the last 50 years or um, and that's as it tracks GDP as well so i'd be very confident of the of the state of the of the industry I think there is still plenty of challenges out there, but I think there is those new entrants into the market, market show that it is still uh, an asset class of great interest to both institutional and private 
investors, and uh, we'd certainly be be confident that 2023 and beyond will be will be um, strong years. Great. On that optimistic note, which I'd like to echo, uh, I'd like to thank you for your insights. On behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics, wish you and White Oak Aviation a very successful 2023. Thank you, Joe. Much appreciated. And same to KPMG and the, the aviation team. Thank you. Thank you.